You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farah of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Psalms. Sin is not bad because it's forbidden. Sin is forbidden because it's bad. Let me say it this way. God does not say, thou shalt not, because I am God and I said so. It's forbidden. No, that's not why. It's more like this. Thou shalt not, because I love you so much. Our Creator designed this world with purpose and order. As soon as He created it, He called it good. When Adam and Eve rebelled, it wasn't because the rule was unfair. It's because they were deceived into thinking it was. As Pastor J.D. explains in today's message, God's laws are given out of a deep love and desire to keep us from pain and heartache. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. in Psalms chapter 119 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. You know, when you pray and you remind God, it's not like, God, did you forget that you're merciful? No, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, throughout the scriptures, even in the Psalms, we saw it, and we'll probably see it again. Remember your word to your servant, for it has given me hope. It's not like, God, did you forget that word, that hope that you gave me? Did, did you forget that you're a merciful? You, you said you're merciful, God. It's not like you're testing him or questioning him or reminding him. No, it's like this. It's like, Lord, you're a merciful God. And you said that you would be merciful to me. So deal with your servant according to your mercy, the mercy you said you would have on me. That's a good way to pray, by the way very specific way to pray. And then he says, teach me your statutes. And then he says, verse 125, I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. It is time for you to act, O Lord. I love it when David in an earlier psalm says, Lord, you need to, this is a loose paraphrase, Lord, you need to do something and don't take too long (laughs) Don't delay. (laughs) You need to do it now. Please don't wait any longer. You need to act, O Lord. Why? Oh, for they have regarded your law as void, and that's not okay. You need to act, Lord. You need to do something, Lord. And then verse 127, I want to focus our attention on this. He says, therefore, I love your commandments more than gold. Yes, than fine gold. Therefore, all your precepts concerning all things I consider to be right, I hate every false way. Well, as I was preparing my heart to prepare this teaching, I really thought about this particular stanza. And again, it can be so easily read as just words on a page, but did you hear what he just said? Please know it's not hyperbole. 
But the psalmist is declaring that the Word of God is more valuable than money, possessions, wealth, anything this world has to offer. The Word of God is more valuable than any of that. To me, this speaks to this one truth of paramount importance. And again, the scriptures are replete when it comes to this. And it's this realization that riches are futile. Wealth is futile. What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world, all the wealth the world has to offer, yet loses his own soul? I was thinking about this actually on the way here tonight. You know in Matthew 6 when Jesus in that famous Sermon on the Mount says, you know, you cannot serve two masters. He didn't say you should not. It's not a, you know, it's an impossibility. It's one or the other. You're either going to love the one, serve the one, and hate the other, or vice versa. But you cannot serve both God and money. You cannot. It's impossible. It's either one or the other. And I was thinking about it like this, and I was, I was kind of looking at it through the template of the Ten Commandments, okay? So don't, like Paul writing to Timothy says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and many that have pursued it have pierced themselves through with many a sorrow. So I was thinking like, about like this. Don't love money because money doesn't love you. No, think about that. Uh, don't have any other gods before me because those gods will never be there for you. I was thinking about with uh, you know the Israelites in the Exodus. How many times repeatedly where God would say, I am the Lord your God that delivered you out of Egypt. I, and I always think about it in terms of the emphasis being on the I. I am the Lord. Not, I am the Lord, or I am the Lord thy God. The, the emphasis, I believe, is on the I, as if to say, I, I am the Lord thy God that delivered you out of Egypt. They're not your God. They're not your God. I am your God. Don't, 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 bow, don't make these graven images and bow down to them, because they don't love you. They can't. They're not going to be there for you. You have to take care of them. They can't, they can't take care of you. One of my favorite, and I want to go too far into it, but one of my favorite accounts in all of Scripture is when the Philistines capture the Ark of the Covenant. And they take it unknowingly into their temple, and they place it in front of their god. The name of their god, Dagon. Interesting god. Half man, half fish. This was their god. And they would bow down and worship this half man, half fish god. And so they bring the Ark of the Covenant. You have to understand, the Ark of the Covenant represented the Shekinah glory of God. And inside the Ark is Aaron's butt, uh, rod, buddy, budding rod, the manna, and the 
tablets underneath in the mercy seat. And they're, they're going to put the Ark of the Covenant next to their God. So they, they put it there, they leave, they come back the next morning, and <laughs> lo and behold, I, I, you know, I love God's Word because God has such a sense of humor. And some of the detail in Scripture, when you read the narrative, it's just like, God, you're just, you're too good. You're too good. So they come back in the morning, and this half man, half fish God is fallen down, okay, prostate before the Ark of the Covenant. That's a good position to be before the Ark of the Covenant. And its arms broke off, and its head came off. And they are just, I mean, appalled. Oh my goodness. So what do they do? They pick up their God, and they put the arms back. You know you've got a problem when you've got to put the arms back on your God, not to mention the head. And they, they put it back up and stand up this daggone God, you know, daggone it. And so they take and they put their God standing back up, come back the next day, same thing, back on his face. And they finally get the picture. Oh my goodness, let's get rid of this Ark of the Covenant. You think? You think? One last uh, thought about this half man, half fish God. You know Jonah, when he runs from God, he doesn't want to go to Nineveh, you can't blame the guy. Don't be too hard on him. It would be like God calling you to go and preach to the Islamic State. These Ninevites, they would impale the Israelites, they would skin them alive, put their skin on stake. I'm sorry for the graphic nature of it. I mean, these were just evil people through and through. And God calls Jonah and says, I want you to go uh, preach uh, to them. <laughs> no, I'm not going to do that. God, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? So he runs, obviously. The, of course, where, where are you going to go? So he tries to run in the opposite direction. You know the story, true story, a big fish. They now believe that really in a whale, a man could survive for three days in the belly of a big whale. But so, you know, he's, he's on this ship. The ship is about to capsize. Jonah knows why. He's, and he, he, to his credit, he's, he tells them, he says, <laughs> Throw me overboard, and this will all end for you. I mean, that guy is overboard in like a New York minute, as they say. And sure enough, the storm stops. Down he goes. And I think the way he was thinking, he had no idea what God was going to do. He thought, I would rather drown than go to Nineveh. So just throw me overboard, put me out of my misery. And so throw him overboard. He's waiting to die. Okay, at least I didn't have to go to Nineveh. And then here comes this huge fish, likely a whale, swallows him up. He's inside of that whale where it is exceedingly hot. I don't know, some commentators suggest it's over 100 some degrees Fahrenheit, which is why, you know, it was literally a burning hell in there, as it would be described. And after three days and three nights, which Jesus would refer to this, by the way, as the only sign that they would get, would be like Jonah. 
being in the belly of the big fish, like he would be in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. So what happens? You know the story, true story, okay? Um, He's barfed out on the beach, and all of the stomach acids now have completely bleached him white. There's no more skin pigment. His hair is doubtless just completely from the stomach, if he has any hair left. The stomach acids could have certainly eaten the hair. So he comes out of this fish. Do you know what God, the Ninevites, worshipped? They worshipped a half fish, half man God. And you wonder why they repented? Oh my goodness, God just appeared to us, this fish, that's our God, and a man comes out of the fish, this is the, this is the, this is Dagon, this is the God man, I mean the fish man, or the fish whatever God. And he, and, and he's telling us that in 40, and by the way, when you study the book of Jonah, which we're going to get to, hopefully before the rapture, if you study the book of Jonah, it's very interesting because he does not preach repentance. There's no gospel. There's no good news. It's not, none of this, if you'll repent, God will spare you and you'll be saved. No, it's more like this, Jonah. I mean, for, he, he wanted to die before going, and now he's being barfed up on the beach out of this fish on the shore of Nineveh. I mean, and, and his, his message, oh, this is, this is some good old time preaching. In 40 days, you guys are toast. God is going to fry you, and you know what? I can't wait. And he goes up, and he waits for 40 days and 40 nights, and I mean, he's popping popcorn and getting comfortable, and he's waiting for the fire show. And what do they do? They get saved. And what does Jonah do? He gets mad. He's like, how could you, God? You know, it's, you know what's interesting about Jonah, and I, 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 I don't know, this might just be me, and if it is, just pray for me, because I know they have clinical terms for this condition. Um, if you had a conference today, you would probably never invite Jonah, would you, to be one of the speakers? Yet, think about this, he was a prophet who had the greatest success when it came to revival. (laughs) How about Jeremiah? Not one person gets saved. He's called the weeping prophet. Not one person, probably wouldn't have him either. You wouldn't have him as a speaker, Jeremiah. You wouldn't have Jonah. And yet Jonah was responsible for one of the greatest revivals in human history. Anyway, I digress. Where was I going with this Bible study already in progress? Oh, we were talking about the futility of riches. How in the world did I get onto Jonah? Oh well. I came across a, uh, you probably heard this quote in a variation, maybe a different variation, but it goes like this, very interesting. Money can buy a house, but not a home. Money can buy a clock, but not time. Money can buy a book, but not knowledge. Money can buy a bed, but not sleep. Money can buy food, but not an appetite. Money 
come by a doctor, but not health. And lastly, perhaps more interestingly, money can buy blood, but not life. Verse 129, and then we'll bring it to an end. Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. The entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. I opened my mouth and panted, for I longed for your commandments as a deer pants for the water. Look upon me, verse 132, and be merciful to me as your custom is toward those who love your name. Direct my steps by your word, and let no iniquity have dominion over me, Redeem me from the oppression of man, that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant, and teach me your statutes. And then verse 136, which is where I want to end the Bible study with tonight. Rivers of water run down from my eyes, because men do not keep your law. Wow. Wow. You hear what he's saying? He's saying that he cries rivers of tears because of the sin of mankind. What strikes me in verse 133 is where he sort of pleads with God to protect him from iniquity and not let iniquity have dominion over him, not allow iniquity to dominate his life, be a part of his life, as oftentimes it can in our lives. Here's what I'm thinking. The psalmist is truly, talk about the fear of the Lord, hating evil. He is truly heartbroken over the danger and the deadliness of sin and the toll that sin takes on mankind. And he is genuinely and sincerely heartbroken. He weeps over it. The things that break the heart of the God he fears are the things that break his heart. He hates what God hates. He's heartbroken by what breaks and grieves the heart of God, namely the sin of mankind, the iniquity of mankind. Why? Because of what it does to mankind. You know, you've heard it said, I've said it many times before, I think it's worthy of being repeated again, but sin is not bad because it's forbidden. Sin is forbidden because it's bad. Let me say it this way. God does not say, thou shalt not because I am God and I said so. It's forbidden. No, that's not why. It's more like this. Thou shalt not, because I love you so much. And if you do this, if you have other gods before me, or make graven images and bow down to them, or commit adultery, or commit murder, or covet, or steal, or any of of the other commandments, I don't want you to do that. It's forbidden because of how bad it is. 
because of what it's going to do to you. And I love you so much. And I cannot stand to see you suffer needlessly by doing what I'm forbidding you to do because of how bad it will be if you do it. Just like one said, it, it's not just the Ten Commandments, it's the tender commandments, the commandments from a tender, loving God who just says to us, almost if I can say it this way, please with us, I, my son, my daughter, my child, don't do that. Because it will just bring such devastation and destruction into your life. And I love you so much. And I don't want to see you go through that. I'm trying to protect you from that. That's why sin is forbidden is because sin will tax a heavy toll. Sin costs. Sin can cost you your life. If it doesn't cost you your life in the physical, literally, it will certainly cost you in your life abundantly. Because I want and I came to give you an abundant life, a blessed life. Why would you want to do something that's going to bring such destruction into your life, such hurt, such pain, such suffering, such torment? Please. And I was thinking about this a couple weeks ago, how whenever I go out and about, sometimes it's more pronounced than others, and I'll end with this. Sometimes it's more pronounced than others. I don't know, it just depends, I guess, on where I've been in God's Word or kind of what my temperament and my mood is that day. But sometimes it is, it is so intense when I see people, and I, I, just, I just think they have no idea what's coming. They are so lost. They're so empty. They're doing all of these things, trying to fill this emptiness in their life that only God can fill. And if the rapture were to happen, this is when it gets really intense for me, because I really believe that the rapture can happen at any time. And when, when I'm having a really bad day, I want the rapture to come that day. <laughs> Please, Lord, this would be a great time for that trumpet to sound. And But then I'm kind of stopped in my tracks, and I think, wow, wait a minute, Lord. If that were to happen, like if I'm out in Kailua town, would they be left behind? And it's heartbreaking. The poetry of the Psalms evokes emotions of all kinds, the authors' lives were as varied as their songs, yet each point to truth we can't deny. God is still God, always in control, and forever loving His creation. We can rest in the knowledge that our Heavenly Father cares for us deeply and is supporting us, calming us and providing life everlasting. We hope today's teaching on In Spirit and Truth stays with you as you continue on in your day, reminding you of truth and love at every turn. If you'd enjoy listening to more messages from Pastor J.D. Farag, you'll be able to find them on our website at inspiritandtruthradio.com. We do treasure our connection with our listeners. We'd like you to be a part of our social media community. 
Follow the links on our website to our Facebook or Twitter pages where you can add your thoughts to the conversations while filling your news feed with encouragement and useful information. We'd love to see you here in person at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe if you're in the area too. We hold services every Sunday at 8.30 and 10.45 a.m. or come by on Thursdays at 7 p.m. for an in-depth Bible study. Directions can be found on our website. Again, that's inspiritandtruthradio.com. If you can't join us in person, we hope you'll find a local church community soon that you can call home. Having a supportive and biblically-based church is an incredible blessing in your faith experience. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you'll join Pastor J.D. again to continue studying the Psalms right here on In Spirit and Truth.